This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. We had to build the depth of his monstrousness over over the 10 episodes and choosing to tell it episode by episode through a specific sister was Mm -hmm. a big breakthrough i guess you Mm -hmm. know because you understand why that sister wants him dead Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Awardist, where we're chatting with the actors, creators, and more who are contenders this year. And we're breaking down the state of the 2023 Emmys race. I'm Entertainment Weekly Executive Editor Jared Hall, and back with me again this week is the one, the only, EW Senior TV Editor, Samantha Highfill. Sam, how are you? I'm good. That's like, I love that intro. That's the most excited anyone's ever been to have me on a podcast. <laughs> just just take that little snippet of a, of a recording and like play it when you walk into a room yeah the one the only <laughs> yeah. i'm here <laughs> Ta-da. <laughs> oh gosh well I'm, I'm glad i could give you that little moment there um so this week folks uh on the podcast oh my gosh i enjoyed this conversation so much you perhaps know her from uh, catastrophe which she created and stars she also created and wrote the series divorce which starred sarah Jessica Parker. She created Shining Veil, starring Courtney Cox. Uh, Well, now Sharon Horgan is fully in the Emmy conversation thanks to her series Bad Sister, in which she also stars. Um, She she co-created the show uh, with a couple others. They developed it off of a a Flemish series called Clan. Um, Some people might draw comparisons to Big Little Lies. And so I'll say, yes, it's about a group of women and a man dies and it becomes all about like who did it. But I'm going to say that's where the similarities start and stop because this uh, this show, this story is is really uh, a thing of its own. It's wonderfully unique in how it shows uh, the relationship between these five sisters and uh, their relationship to uh, one sister's husband who is just one of the grossest characters I've ever seen on TV, Sam, honestly. Uh, I was telling Sharon this during the interview, you know, it's like he's he's kind of, you know, he's the bad guy. Everyone hates him. Um, and the sisters collectively, like, want to, uh, they want to kill him. Mm-hmm. Um Literally, figuratively, physically speaking, they want to get rid of the guy. Um because he's he's emotionally abusive, he's mentally abusive, but he he's not one of those guys who like you know as I say to Sharon, you'll hear she he doesn't like you know twirl the mustache. He's he's very quietly manipulative and gaslights and um, is belittling and condescending and uh, is just a really gross human being. I mean, like he sets people up to get like caught in situations. He manufactures these situations and, and you know, kind of either blackmails or, um, you know, just kind of steamrolls them into getting into bigger trouble. Um, the guy's got to go. And he does. That's how the show opens. You know, he's dead. But then it becomes a big whodunit over the course of these 10 episodes. Um, so for anyone who has not seen it, 
It is a must watch. It is one of my favorite shows of the last year. And uh, my interview with Sharon Horgan is one of, uh, I, I feel like I keep saying it every week. Like I keep having a favorite interview, but um, I, I, she's just such a delight. And uh, I, I can't wait for everyone to hear that. Okay. So before we get to that interview, normally we're kind of breaking down, uh, you know, some of the categories and stuff on here, but um, we're going to take a little break from that because there are some bigger things to talk about, some very important things. Uh, namely the current writer strike that is uh, happening across Hollywood. Now, um, it doesn't seem like this is something that's going to be resolved very quickly. And here's where I stand on that. On one hand, I'm like, great. I don't want the writers to just settle so that they and everyone else can get back to work and, you know, these productions can start back up. But on the other hand, holding out means that essentially the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers isn't coming to the Writers Guild with a good offer on behalf of the studios and the networks and the streamers. Um, and that's really where it's kind of like, holy crap, is there any progress being made? Um, that's, you know, gets into some, you know, nuts and bolts and, you know, um, we don't know the intricacies of of all of those elements, but what we do know are the productions that are already impacted. Um, so, Sam, kind of take us through that list. What you know, you know you're you're our TV editor here. Uh, what's been yeah. impacted, and what's you know now on a uh, basically an indefinite hiatus? Yeah, it is interesting because I think a lot of people who lived through, which is pretty much any adult, the 2007 writer strike. Yeah, I mean, instantly kind of had like a little like. PTSD. My mom was texting me being like, are all my shows just suddenly going to end? Like what's happening? Because I do think there was a more immediate impact in 2007 Mm -hmm. because streaming wasn't what it is now. Network was still king. Exactly. And so, you know, so Friday Night Lights season two just ended and Supernatural season three just ended. And there were all these things. Um, and so we have a little bit more time, I think, before we really start to feel the impact, because what we're seeing is shows that are currently on. You've got like your Chicago shows, you've got Succession, you've got Yellow Jackets. All of those shows have finished filming the seasons that are airing. So you are not going to suddenly just have them end. You will get the full season. It will be fine. <laughs> Everything is good. But then looking ahead, speaking of something like Yellow Jackets, season two is going to air and it's completion, like it's going to be great. But they had already started on writing season three and had to stop writing it. And so, you know, six months, a year from now, we might be having a discussion of when are we getting Yellow Jackets? Because it was supposed to come back three months ago. So there are longer delays like that. Um, We've heard a lot of a couple other things not affected. For example, House of the Dragon has said they're filming season two and all of those scripts are done so they can keep filming it. You've got the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel and Ted Lasso. Yeah, all these streaming shows. Yep, all done. All like, you're going to get those, you know, seasons. But then we are starting to hear, you know, Cobra Kai shut down their writer's room. Abbott Elementary was, like, day one was supposed to be the second. And that's when they started the strike. And so all of those shows, again, we won't see it for a while. But if they're not writing right now, then that's just going to push everything back. And could ultimately, you know, one of the things one of the Abbott writers has been talking about is it could affect episode count. 
You know, it's right. not only premiere date that could be pushed back, but we could get shortened seasons next year if mm-hmm. this continues. Because, you know, in 07, it lasted for 100 days. That's a long time in Hollywood. Sure is. <laughs> get things done. And so, and then there's like the other side of it that I find really interesting. Um, I saw like Neil Gaiman had tweeted about Good Omens 2 saying it's written, which means they could make it. But he was like, I don't know if I'll be able to promote it, which is the other thing we're seeing where writers aren't wanting to do interviews, aren't wanting to support these shows. So on our end of it, coverage is also becoming really interesting. Indeed. Yeah, we're feeling that even here, you know, in terms of uh, I I mean, not not immediately feeling it in terms of the awardist, but we're, you know, hearing that, uh, you know, uh, especially actors, they don't want to. Some of them are not going to their FYC events because they want to stand in solidarity because the thing is, look, I wouldn't even be here without my writers who you don't want to pay well. So um, I I love the solidarity in those regards. Um, I think that is still a little tricky because if you're a show that's in conversation for awards, then there's there is still to me a little bit of a like, yeah, but you need to be out there and show people how great your writers are and why you should, you know, why they should be getting paid more. So there's kind of a double-edged sword there. I totally get why they don't want to. But on the flip side, I would think maybe getting the messaging out, uh, you know, about the greatness of these writers uh, would also be important. Um, You know, just like Good Omens, uh, kind of along those lines, uh, Lord of the Rings, they have all of their scripts and they're going to go ahead and film without their executive producers, without their showrunners, which is... uh, Really interesting to me, um, you know, that J.D. Payne and Patrick McKay are just they're just not going to be there while the show uh, continues production in the U.K. And then, of course, there are the others. We know that Saturday Night Live, they canceled the rest of their season. Uh, you know, all the late night shows are on hiatus. Uh, those those were obviously the immediately impacted. And and there's really kind of no question there um, what's going on. Um, but, you know, I mean, a, a writer's strike does not impact just writers. And that's the really important thing to remember. Uh, there are a lot of production teams, uh, you know, from from executive producers all the way down to script PAs, production office PAs who do not have jobs right now. Uh, and that's why it's, you know, we, we just got to keep saying, it. you know, we <laughs> urge these people to, you know, really take a serious look at what writers are asking for, because it doesn't seem that outlandish to want to be paid <laughs> And and be able to survive and live and put food on the table and a roof over your head. And, and you know, residuals are a very different thing, too, with the streaming world. So, yeah, I also don't think people quite realize, like, I'm curious to see, you know, you mentioned Lord of the Rings. They're going to go ahead. House of the Dragon says we have our scripts. We're going to go ahead. But I'm curious if a month or two from now, we don't hear from those productions saying, just kidding, because I don't think a lot of people know. And it varies by show. But sure, you have a completed script, but to not have a writer on set of their episode there to, I don't know, rewrite a scene if they decide that something doesn't work. If there's literally a production thing where they say, we can't get this set for this episode, we need to move this. And the writer's not there to do it. Like they're a crucial part of it. It's not just, oh, it's written and you're done. So I wouldn't be surprised if we don't hear about more delays from some of these shows that have come out saying, no, we're good. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. The thing that gets tricky there, too, is that um, a lot of those writers aren't WGA writers uh, right. under that guild, but they're, you know, with the guild of whatever their country they're from. Uh, I think it's I think it's the WG. GB, Writers Guild of Great Britain, I mm-hmm. think, don't uh, quote me on that, um, but I'm right here saying it, so someone will quote me on it. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so there's there's that little bit of a line that like, we're not in that guild, but we support you. So yeah, it it, uh, it certainly gets a little tricky. Now, another show I want to talk to you about that um, I don't believe is impacted by this strike, but I will uh, let you confirm that. Big news about what's going on behind the scenes at Yellowstone after months of uh, waiting to get an answer. I think uh, this, all these rumors kind of started in January, February um, that, you know, Kevin Costner wanted to reduce his amount of time on the series. Um, Well, I'll let you fill everyone in on what's (laughs) going on there. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I feel like we've been waiting. So they aired the first half of season five, but there was always supposed to be a back half. It's not a complete season. They were originally supposed to film it March and April, and it was supposed to be premiering next month. And then all this news came out that Kevin Costner wanted to give them two weeks to film an entire season, which for people who don't know is impossible. Um, so there's been all this back and forth. There have been rumors. Are they going to kill Kevin Costner off? Are they just going to end the show? What's happening? So what they announced on Friday is that the show is kind of officially ending, which is super fascinating because it is the flagship series of all of these spinoffs. It is more popular than it's ever been, but it's, I have to say, I didn't anticipate this. I thought they might kill him off. They'll figure something out. But what they're doing is they're airing the end of Yellowstone in November, whatever that means. And by December, so that means the end of Yellowstone is going to be a max of four episodes, probably less. But by December, they're going to launch a new spinoff. They haven't, they don't have a title yet, but it will be the first spinoff to actually have Yellowstone in the title. And Matthew McConaughey is still said to be in talks to be a part of that. And it's supposedly going to star a lot of the main cast from Yellowstone. So it sounds like they're essentially just going to get rid of Costner with a couple final Mm -hmm. episodes of Yellowstone. And then within the matter of a week or two, launch a quote-unquote new show that probably won't feel all that new, that is just kind of (laughs) Yellowstone 2.0 without Kevin Costner. Um, It's fascinating. I'm like, I'm so intrigued by the decision to make it a completely new show. Part of me wonders if it has to do with the fact that they're not going to be on Paramount Plus and not Peacock for streaming. which it could, but we're still waiting to find out exactly how many of the like principal cast from Yellowstone are going to make the transition. If there's going to be some sort of weird time jump, you know, obviously right. we still don't know if they, if they kill John Dutton or if Kevin Costner just gets to walk away. All those questions are still out there, but um, it's a fascinating, I can't remember the last time a show did something like this. Right. Yeah. And because of I mean, look, they're adapting, they're doing what they have to do with, uh, you know, what's going on behind the scenes from a business perspective and trying to um, trying to 
make that impact the the story as little as possible. Um, and obviously, Taylor Sheridan takes such great care of these shows and these characters. I I don't know. I I here's my theory, which I don't think is perhaps all that bold. I'm going to say John Dutton still dies, and that McConaughey is the new governor. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, that could be. I mean. But to your point, also, Jared, the thing that they haven't addressed, they announced this and it's like Yellowstone will air its final episodes in November. This new spinoff will start in December. And I'm sitting here going, does that mean it's already written? Because otherwise, right. that's a big bold questions. Yeah. Claim to make because theoretically, Taylor Sheridan's not writing right now. And so the answer could be yes. I mean, we have been waiting months for this answer. So perhaps Taylor's just been writing away. Um, or maybe it's a sort of thing where like this transition didn't actually require that many tweaks to whatever he had already planned for the future of Yellowstone. It's true. Um, yep. so, I mean, they certainly, they announced months without anyone asking them to announce months. So right. maybe it really <laughs> will true. come to fruition, yeah. but it's yeah, very Yeah, that's true. That's true. And, and look, and I say McConaughey as governor only because I, I don't know if it would make sense that he somehow is then suddenly a family member running. Yeah. Right. Is he a family member? We've never heard about. I don't know. That doesn't make sense to me. Um, you would think that one of the family members takes over, um, you know, <clears throat> succession. Um, but, <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, that, that kind of situation. Um, but I mean, of course there's also the possibility that some of these Dutton kids could also die. I mean, let's be honest, Wes Bentley's character, sure. he's, uh, <laughs> you know, certainly questionable given what happened in that, uh, you know, that mid-season finale. So uh, like you said, it's so fascinating. Oh, you know what they could do? What if they did? Because the end of the first half of season five set up like Beth and Jamie are straight up 100% trying to kill each other. Like they declare yes. it, it's happening. What yep. if... Jamie attempts to kill Beth and John somehow saves his daughter, but he dies. <gasps> like steps in front of the bullet. Yeah. One of those situations. Ooh. I could see it happening. I could see him stepping in to save uh to save her. I don't know if he uh has that kind of same loyalty to to Wes. No. Although it would be a heck of a twist if he actually saved Jamie in the end. Yep. Yep, it would indeed. Oh, gosh. Well, we could probably talk for days, theories about what could and couldn't happen on Yellowstone. By the way, did you see that they're going to air all of 1883 on Paramount Network? Uh, I think it's starting Father's Day weekend. So trying to kind of help fill the void, I suppose, of Yellowstone content on that network where people are used to seeing it. Yeah, maybe if you uh, didn't check it out on streaming, this will be your chance. I mean, I loved it. I think it's a great show uh, and everyone should check it out. Uh, speaking of great shows, I said it earlier. I'm going to say it again. Bad Sisters. So good. Don't go anywhere. My interview with uh, series co-creator and star Sharon Horgan is coming up. The awardist will be right back. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? 
Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to The Awardist. Like Phoebe Waller-Bridge, who created her show Fleabag, starred in her show Fleabag, wrote it, uh, got all kinds of, uh, you know, Emmy attention and uh, picked up some hardware. I think Sharon Horgan has a very good chance of doing the same thanks to her incredible writing on Bad Sisters, not to mention her performance. By the way, all of the women on this show are just incredible. We talk about them and so much more in my interview. So let's get to it. Here is Bad Sisters co-creator, writer and star Sharon Horgan. Sharon, thank you so much for for doing this. I uh, I love the show so much. This is like my kind of show. I love the, like mysteries like this, but then when you can add in some dark comedy, which is also like my cup of tea, <laughs> this is it had everything I wanted from a show. Oh, thanks. Well, it was the first time I'd done anything like that. I'd never, you know, tried to write a thriller of any kind before. Um, but like, I, I love that it had lots of relationship stuff in there, yeah. which, cause that's my sort of, um, bread and butter, you mm-hmm. know? So I felt like I, I, I knew how to do that. And then the rest I sort of learned as I went. Well, okay. So I will get into some of that. Um, cause I, I, you know, you just heard me gushing, but I'm not the only one. I mean, the reception of the series has been so great. I, if I recall right, my, um, my colleague was at the Critics' Choice Awards, and I believe he was at your table, and he was like, everyone keeps coming up oh, yeah, and so talking nice. to them about yeah. the show. And yeah. um, so were you were you feeling that throughout the, I mean, it's been several months now, but um, have, have you felt that in general, the, the love, the reception? Oh, uh, yeah. It was, that night was amazing, actually. Mm. Um because it was our first, um, it was our first time in the, in the US with it, really, oh. you know. I mean, we'd done, we'd done our, um, what you call it, our, pre- our premiere there, mm-hmm. but, um, and a bit of that press and stuff, but like actually since the show had gone out. So it, we were, we were definitely, um, you know, bu- buzzing, <laughs> really buzzing, yeah. um, especially when you're in a room like that and it's, you know, people you really admire mm-hmm. and shows you think are, are the bee's knees. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, we, we'd, we'd had a sense that, that people were digging it. It just, it was a bit of a slow build, I'd say, mm-hmm. you know, because as is often the case with streaming. Yeah, yeah exactly. And also I think cause it was a, a uh, an Irish UK show, mm-hmm. You know, it, it hadn't had this, it hadn't had such a big fanfare when it, when it, when mm-hmm. it launched. But what really worked in our favor, I think, was, was that it went out week by week rather than all, you know, getting dumped right. in one go. Yep. Because then the people got to sort of talk about it mm-hmm. and the, the, the sort of, you know, the cliffhanger and the yeah. thriller of it, um, built. It's over the perfect time. show for that. I still love a weekly yeah. rollout. <laughs> uh, well, me too, but it doesn't, not all shows kind of yeah. benefit from it in the same way. And mm. I think we might have, you know, come and gone if we, if it hadn't have been mm. rolled out like that. But mm. the way it worked was people started talking about it and, yeah. 
Yeah, it was great. It was mm. so nice that, that people enjoyed it. Was there anyone in particular you remembered there that like, came up and were like, I love your show, and you were like, holy shit, I can't believe they didn't have seen my show? Oh, my God. I mean, um, I'm a big fan of Rachel Bloom, and oh. she came over and, and said how much she loved it. And um, I, my mind has completely gone a blank now. Oh, well, everyone from the bear. Like, that was oh, myself yeah. and Eve Houston were backstage because we were um, presenting. And so they were, I think, coming out and we were going in or the other way around. And it was just a lovely mutual yeah. um, love fest, you know. Yeah. Oh, to be a fly on the wall at that moment. Well, um, so in addition to this show, uh, catastrophe, divorce, uh, shining veil, um, you've, you've created some shows that I really love, as, as I mentioned, but I, I'm wondering, like, when, going back years ago, if you can recall, like, when did the creative bug bite? I was just talking about this earlier. Um, I, I was um, in art college in Dublin and um, the director, Jim Sheridan, approached me to audition for um, a film he was making with Richard Harris called The Field, which I didn't get at all. Oh. You know, I went, I did the audition. It was my first ever audition. And I think rejection spurred me on. <laughs> You're like, oh, something weird, I like about that. Masochistic <laughs> way, because obviously our lives are kind of built around it. But yeah. um but that was the acting thing. I, I, I think with writing, that was more of a, a slow burn, you know. Mm. Um, I think initially I started writing to get a decent part, you know, mm. because, um, I mean, comedy... Me was, meaning like writing your own parts. Yeah. 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 yeah because, um, well, back then, um, there wasn't a huge amount of female writers around. So mm. if I could be so bold as to say there wasn't a huge amount of great female parts you know they were sort yeah. of more kind of girlfriends and wives and mm -hmm. weren't really the sort of protagonists or the main protagonists or if they were it was really rare and so um that's kind of what spurred me on and and i think it was when i i, I made it wrote a sitcom with dennis kelly um who wrote um utopia and matilda the musical mm -hmm. um we we got our break writing um a sitcom called pulling and i think really I don't know how we got that sitcom because we'd never written anything before and we didn't even have to make a pilot. They just read the pilot script. And you just got like, the series order. They were just like, go for it. Wow. And All it was right. such an amazing experience because it was, you know, myself and my best friend making a show exactly how we wanted to make it. Yeah. And, and sometimes that does happen. Rare, mm. but it does happen. And so I think that gave me the, the bug. And it, it, you know, it's, it was rare because it took a long time for me to find my next thing, which was catastrophe mm. and lucky enough to meet Rob Delaney and, and, and for that to kick off. But that gave me the, the bug to, you know, to, to write something that I really, um, cared about and, and, you know, not, not sort of write for the sake of it or to order, but, to write because I really believed in that mm -hmm. idea and those characters. Yeah, makes sense. Well, uh, you mentioned uh, that there were some things with this show you kind of learned along the way. And, and something that I was thinking, you know, while watching it is that you, you guys do such a great job of <laughs> stringing us along in a very, though, like, compelling and engaging way. I wasn't getting tired of like, oh, can we get to the reveal already? You know, <laughs> like I was there for yeah. every step of the way. But were there a lot of decisions about how to very specifically build that out or was it kind of happening organically as you were writing 
Well, we were lucky enough to have, you know, the Belgian original series right. Clan, um, written by um, Sarah Malengozen, um, to um, crib off. And she'd done such a great job in how she chose to roll it out. And, you know, we all decided that we loved that um, original series, but it totally just didn't feel like the kind of thing we wanted to... Mm. Um, we didn't want to tell the story in that way. So we, uh, you know, in our, our series has a, a lot less murder attempts, a lot less dead bodies. And it, and it's, you know, um, it, it, it sort of um, spends a lot of time dealing with the sisters and the, mm -hmm. the emotional kind of fallout from, you know, trying to kill your, um, <laughs> your yeah. brother-in-law. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah, we, we sort of... Um, we we still knew that we had to 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 build it. You know, we start off and and he's a, clearly a terrible human, but we had to, like you said, keep an audience with us mm -hmm. for ten episodes, and and keep them wanting the same outcome. Mm -hmm. um, so we had to sort of you know build the depth of his um, monstrousness. Yeah. Over over the ten episodes and. You know, choosing to tell it um, episode by episode through um, a specific sister was mm -hmm. a big sort of um, breakthrough, I guess. You mm -hmm. know, because you you, you sort of you um, you understand why that sister wants him dead outside mm -hmm. of you know what it means to them um, personally, mm -hmm. and as well as trying to save their sister. And uh, so yeah, it was sort of you know it was a learning process for all of us because mm -hmm. none of us had had written um, thriller before, but. Yeah. You know, great, great sort of building block of the original and then a lot of good brains mm -hmm. helping yeah. me figure it out, you know. Yeah. Well, you mentioned, uh, you know, the, the original had more um, kills. But yeah. okay, I, w this is going to be for uh, everyone listening, a very spoiler heavy conversation because the show's been out for a while. Hopefully people will watch. But um, I want to go through this list of some of the kill attempts because... Um, <laughs> After a few episodes of watching, it kind of struck me. I was like, "There's a little bit of a like a Roadrunner Wiley Coyote dynamic going on." Completely, where they, there is. Yeah. And we even reference it in one of the episodes. Yep. You know, it's uh, it's it's so good. Okay, let me go through the list. <laughs> there was the gas leak, the cabin explosion. Yeah, he was outside trying to use his cell phone. God, uh, poison his food. The dog eats it. Yeah, uh, paintball. <laughs> the instructor gets shot in the eye instead. <laughs> uh, drugs, nasal spray. Tried to drown him in the tub. He wakes up, but then he goes to the Boat and falls off his boat. So you're like, oh, okay. And he gets saved. And then I think it's the last one. Becca tries to lock him in the freezer, but it's not. That's him. it. That's it. Okay. So did you have a longer list of things and then you figured out which which ones worked or was it always those? Um, no, we there was a longer list. I, I'm trying to remember. There was a in the original there was um there was a hitman. And they paid someone to to try and uh, kill him. There is definitely a couple of others that have just gone completely out of my head. But I think we just, you know, um, went for the ones that felt like they would be the most fun. Mm -hmm. And um, I mean, the trying to to kill him with the rehypnol and then um, the 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 almost drowning was um, one of my favorites mm -hmm. because um, we just needed to find ways for them to try and fail really yeah. badly you know 
and and also for there to be you know a pileup of collateral damage like the poor doggy yeah. and you know his his mother yeah that was the worst that was the one we sort of um you know toyed with the most because mm. we thought will an audience allow us Right. To get away with that. And will they still be on the team of the sisters? Mm-hmm. But they, they were okay with it. They, you know, obviously it was, it was heartbreaking, but, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, they, they let us away with that. I think, I think it was really about, you know, at that point, they wanted him dead so badly that they yeah. kind of forgave, forgave their sisters anything, you know? Well, yeah, because as you're saying that, I'm thinking, I wonder if it's almost a situation of like, you, you, you had, kind of earned the ability yeah. at that point to do it versus like, you know, the, the ask permission, you yeah. know, or forgiveness. Well, one situation. of the hardest ones was the first kill attempt, mm. because at that point, you, you know, you don't, you're not so fully ingrained in the world or yeah. the sisters. So you had to see him do something really bad mm-hmm. to understand why someone like Eva would, would get behind it. You know, she's a reasonable woman. Mm-hmm. I mean, she hates him, but she's not a killer. Right. But, um, you know, that was the tricky thing. Just like, is an audience going to believe that these women would do that? But, you mm. know, it happens. Yeah. Right? The, and that, that explosion, that was live, practical. You were there that was it. feeling the that heat. Was our, that was our one go. I was going to say. that cabin. We were S-hitting our pants. <laughs> we were terrified it was all going to go wrong. And the guys who we'd employed to do the explosion, <laughs> They were so laid back. They were just like walking along with their whatever it was, <laughs> petrol. I don't know. But you know, we were like, no big really? deal to them. Are you that? But- they were they were taking their sweet time, and we were like, I was sweating um, buckets because I was so sure it was going to go wrong. Uh-huh. We were going to blow this house up to smithereens, yeah. and something would go wrong, and we'd have to build a new house or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we. Um, it worked and, mm-hmm. and when it, when it exploded, the, the terror that myself and, and Sarah Green were, it was genuine, was genuine because, you know, it was loud and it was hot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then must have been a lovely celebration afterward that you know when what? you knew it worked. It should have been. <laughs> we, we were all like punching the air and screaming. And then our producer called us over to one side and, and went, um, so Daryl McCormick has COVID. Oh, and so no. we knew our whole next week was oh, no. going to be screwed because oh. we were shooting right in the middle of all of that. Yeah. You know? So yeah, we got to celebrate for some, sp- some nanoseconds yeah. and then on to the next yeah. trauma. But glad to see he was okay, obviously. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> Got to finish yeah. filming, of course, <laughs> yeah. and everything. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I, I want to talk about the casting. Uh, how did you guys decide on who was which sister? Well, we have an amazing casting director, Nina Gold, and um, but I was lucky enough to have worked with a couple of the sisters before. Mm-hmm. So I'd worked with Sarah Green on Frank of Ireland, um, with Donal and Brian Gleeson, and mm-hmm. I had made um, a, a one-off um, show called The Circuit with Eva Brethistle. So I knew they were both brilliant. And... Um, um, Amory Duff, I hadn't worked with before, but I was a huge fan. Mm-hmm. And Eve Hewson, I, you know, w- was obsessed with from her first audition. And obviously she's a young person. <laughs> so she was always going to be, um, baby Becca. And the rest were a little bit of, um, you know, just, just working out the jigsaw of, um, you know, mm-hmm. who, who could play who and how it would work in the age range because we sort of, you know, differed in age a bit as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so there was a little bit of, 
you know, who should play who. And then it just sort of all fell into place. And then once um, we'd worked that out, we went to Anne-Marie and, and offered her grace. And, mm. you know, thank God she said yes. She's incredible. Yeah, she's I mean, especially that brilliant. final episode. It's Oof. extraordinary, isn't it? It's it's really really fantastic. That stuff. was another very tense day because Clay, I was going to ask if you were there even for the days. That yeah, you I, weren't. I, on I'm camera. really annoying. I'm always there. <laughs> Some people like it. <laughs> no, I mean for the most part, it's 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 great. I think it's really helpful to have um, mm. a writer on set. But you know, also I was there a lot because I'm you know playing one of the mm -hmm. characters. But um, with that particular scene, it was. Um, they knew exactly what they were doing. It was just, you know, Clayson and Emery. Clayson and Emery. Yeah. Um, but it was just, it was just being there for the rehearsal of it and, and actually discussing if there was like superfluous dialogue and, mm. you know, taking little snips out and, and working out the, the, the last sort of throws of the death, I suppose, mm -hmm. because she's a slight woman. Chris right. Bang is a, literally a giant. Mm -hmm. If not literally, then not far off. He's <laughs> like six five or something crazy. Yeah, so, yeah. so all of those things you had to mm -hmm. take into account because you, an audience, you know, I, I wanted them to really feel and believe yeah. that, that in, in, in her anger that, that this strength came out, but also, mm -hmm. you know, that there were a few things on her side, like, I don't know gravity and the, the weight of him when he hit the ground and right. um but Clace had lost his voice like almost in entirely oh. and uh, so we were you know he's he's screaming at her in in yeah. that scene and he had been really unwell and so we were we were honestly unsure if it was actually going to happen mm. and then i don't know he just pulled this voice out of nowhere and i think it was the adrenaline of of that scene, you know, we, we spent the whole day on it. It was like this crazy little sort of one act play, mm -hmm. really, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was just extraordinary watching mm. them do it. And my heart was just going like the clappers. <laughs> Same while watching it, honestly. It was, <laughs> I, I definitely felt myself like, you know, sit up and was yeah. leaning toward the screen a bit more. Yeah. It was one of those moments. Um, I, I want to talk to you more about Clace because, um, this John Paul, you know, he's, he's not a, a, he's not a mustache twirling villain. Um, he's, he's so quiet and calculated in everything he does, which might actually make him scarier oh, than a mustache twirling yes. villain. I mean, the yeah. way he, the way he manipulates, the way he belittles, the way he condescends and, and is patronizing, it's, um, it's really, an incredible performance to yeah. watch. What was was a lot of that on paper? What did, what did he bring that wasn't necessarily there? Well, place? I mean, he brought his absolutely singular personality. You know that that and that voice of his, that sort of you know um, weirdly gentle kind mm -hmm. of voice, and he brought his his physical um, his physicality. I mean, he is. We had to have someone who was funny and terrifying, you yeah. know, and he's a physically very funny um, performer uh, as well. And, and the sort of um, his his awkwardness within that body and, you know, the fact that he, you know, you could make a fool out of him qu mm -hmm. quite easily as well, which also I think adds to the the danger of him, you know, because he's a man who doesn't enjoy being laughed at, but they mm -hmm. are constantly laughing at him. Um, 
I, I would like to say a lot of it was, you know, dialogue wise was on the page, but what he brought, I think, um, w was, um, just an enormous amount of skill and a huge amount of, um, um, comedy, um, chops, you know, because mm -hmm. I think he had to be a monster and he had to be despicable. And by the last episode, you see the the full extent of the the horror of of that character but leading up to that you have to love to hate him mm -hmm. so you have to he has to be able to make you laugh it would have been r relentless mm -hmm. without it would have been a hard watch yeah so um yeah he he really really understood the character and he really understood the subtlety of what he was doing mm -hmm. and um yeah, it was another genius Nina Gold move because I, I'd seen The Square and was a huge <laughs> fan, but I wouldn't have thought of him for a second. Mm, yeah. But in actual fact, the, the, the fact that he's, you know, a foreigner, you know, um, well, he's Danish, but he's playing mm -hmm. him as a, as a, as a, you know, Swedish man. He's like an outsider. He's someone mm -hmm. who's already like having to kind of fight to be right. accepted, you know, mm -hmm. um, was was really great and it gave us a lot you know mm -hmm. yeah well and then of course the that dynamic between eva and, and john paul also being co-workers in addition to yeah. um in addition to being you know in-laws uh, that that added dynamic uh and then we find that the um that the abuse extends beyond kind of mental and emotional between the two of them. We know that there was, uh, you know, physical, uh, not just abuse, assault. Um, so all of that said, <laughs> with with what Eva, you know, the full journey that Eva goes on as well. What did you really uh, relish in in getting to explore with her? Um, I think being the the matriarch of that family, um, but being a childless woman, you mm. know, um, the, the sort of, um, the joy, you know, of those sisters when they're together, sort of despite everything, you really feel the love and, and the joy that they have when they, mm. when they're together. And, you know, I think representing, um, a woman on screen who's been through something like that, but still, you know, represents like hope, you know, mm -hmm. and, uh, so I, I really relished playing that, you know, because I, I, yeah, I just don't think women like that are shown on screen that often. A woman of that age who, you know, d hasn't gone the traditional route in her life, doesn't have a partner, is yeah. childless. And that may not be what she would have chosen for herself, you know, but, you know, she, but she still, you know, has hope in her life and mm -hmm. still, um, has joy in her life and, uh, and is a really good person. Mm -hmm. I have played a lot of selfish characters, <laughs> <laughs> brats, <laughs> and and playing a character who puts other people first was, mm. you know, it was really nice. It mm. was uh, it was fun for me, but it was also good for my daughters to see me play someone mm. who was like, you know, yeah, a piece of work. Mm -hmm. I was so rooting for. Eva and Gabriel. Oh, I know. Uh, he really, he was sneaky. I didn't see it coming. <laughs> I'm really glad you didn't see it coming because that, that was, you know, another thing that we were kind of 
was a bit of a juggle. You know, we really didn't want an audience to dislike him or feel yeah. like he led her up the garden path. So she was projecting, <laughs> you know, her future happiness on yeah. onto him. And, you know, I mean, I've, I've done it myself and, and you think that this this person is 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 going to be the the one for you, and and it's heartbreaking. And it, we needed it to be heartbreaking, so we needed an audience to really mm-hmm. feel like they could be together. But then afterwards, when she makes the choice to accept his friendship, mm-hmm. like that was a gorgeous yeah. thing, you know. Yeah, that turning around on the I boat know, dock and yeah. going back was like, yes, yeah. yes, this is going to be okay. <laughs> yeah, but he's um, Assad is one of the most beautiful people you could meet, you know, I mean, physically and mm. a, a, as a person mm. as well. So it was very easy, you know, yeah. to, to play that opposite him. Mm. Does um, Lizzo know you sent the characters to a concert? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but I think we should tell her. We should, indeed. We'll we'll make sure we tag her and find <laughs> out that, uh, see, see that she knows you guys went to her show. Um, how hard was it to land the plane? Because you... You had a twist, and then you had another twist, and then yeah. oh, we got one more bit of info for you. And I was like, "Dang it! They keep they keep surprising me in the best ways." Well, I was so nervous that um, people were going to figure it out, and you know, we 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 all were, but we felt if we had an extra twist up our sleeves, that even if they did get there, mm-hmm. you know, and I and I figure a lot of people. It, you know, she was definitely in their top two of who, mm-hmm. you know, by the, the closer we got to the end, mm-hmm. just by maths. Um, but the Roger of it was mm-hmm. like when we figured that out in the writer's room, we were like, because, because, you know, if they figured it was Grace, I think that was okay because how yeah. he dies was a surprise. Yeah. And even if they figured it was Grace, what Eva um, tells them, you know, afterwards mm-hmm. and what she finds out what grace found out in that scene i think would have been a surprise so so we knew we were kind of okay we knew it'd be satisfying mm-hmm. because that's the thing with 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 10 hours if people are going to invest that much time of their precious time with you mm-hmm. and you don't you know nail the landing then yeah, yeah it's you've, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah it's, it's right it's, it's a worrying thing yeah. so um but then I feel like emotionally at the end that that last scene when they're at the 40 foot and Grace yeah. is there and like I feel like in a way that that was the the, the ending mm-hmm. you know right yes yes indeed to yeah, that amount of joy and, and freedom exactly, that was there yeah. uh, it was left in a really good spot and to know that She's getting away with it. Yeah. I mean, for reasons of, of help or just she should anyway, let's be honest. <laughs> like Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's a fair cop. Yeah. He really is. He really <laughs> is. Um I like I said, I think it's just fantastic. As I'm I'm talking to you, I, I'm also realizing probably why I I like it so much is because my mom is one of three sisters. So oh. I grew up in, you know, the yeah. dynamic of uh, you know, of those three women. I no one wanted to kill um, you know, a brother in law. Oh. Well, um well, I'll I, talk about that not on camera. But, well, um, I, yeah, but. I, will, I, will, I will also give you something off camera. But um, I, you know, I'm from a big family myself, and I and I, um, you know, there's such a huge part of my life, my brothers and sisters, and I felt like if if we could capture that, you know, if I could capture that feeling of 
of, of, of what it is to come from a big family. Yeah. People who come from a big family are going to relate to it. And people who don't are going to be like, I want, you know, yeah. I want that. Yeah. That's so true. Well, that is a great place to, uh, to end it. Uh, I cannot thank you enough for being here. Congrats oh, on the show. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Oh, all right. Well, I could have talked to Sharon all day, first of all, I will say that. Secondly, you know, there's something about British shows that just hit different. I don't know what it is, um, but I don't know. Do you, do you get that too, Sam? Like, I just, there's so many British shows that I love. It is. And I really, like... People talk about this a lot. I think it does come down to British humor. Like, I just enjoy it more. And it can be so dark, which is why it works for a lot of shows about murder. Um, But I just, I think it's so, it's always so smart. It's so sharp. Like, it's so enjoyable. And also, they're just really good at telling, like, succinct stories. I think yeah. American shows can get pulled, you know, classic America can get pulled into like, how can we make more money? Let's make up a jillion seasons. And British shows more traditionally. Ding, ding. Ain't that the truth? Cut it off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, we saw that with the, sh- the show that I kind of compared this to, Big Little Lies. It could have and should have ended at season one. You know, yeah. they they told their story. We didn't need to go on. Um, and But of course, you know, the, as you then heard, even as we explained more in the interview there with Sharon, the show's so different. I mean, I love the fact that there was this like Wiley Coyote Roadrunner dynamic going on. Like the first time they try to kill him and it doesn't, I died laughing at the i mean first of all i think i slapped my knees i was like holy crap i cannot believe that didn't work um and then it just keeps going and you know they didn't want to do it it's 10 episodes you can't do like a a kill attempt every episode because that would certainly be overdoing it you'd be rolling your eyes but um they don't work for all of the right reasons realistic reasons that you know it's this isn't like absurdist comedy by any means but um i i really do hope people check it out because uh the show is fantastic but also sharon is great and marie duff is oh my god the finale episode like we talked about i just uh i I should just shut up and just tell you (laughs) just watch it please please do me everyone a favor and watch the show it's so great um all right well sam as always Thanks for her, uh, for being here. Absolutely. Anytime. The one, the only, Samantha Highfield. <laughs> That's right. And thanks so much to all of you for listening. That is it for this episode of The Awardist. If you like what you're hearing here, you can follow, rate the podcast, and leave us an award-winning review on Apple Podcasts. And to keep the conversation with us going, you can follow Entertainment Weekly on all socials. We are at EW on Twitter and at Entertainment Weekly everywhere else. You can also tag me at Jared Hall. We will see you back here next week. This episode of the Awardist podcast is hosted by Jared Hall, produced by Chanel Johnson and Sammy Junio, edited by Sammy Junio. Full episode transcripts are available at EW.com. Thanks for listening. Listening.